Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Greetings, everyone. This is the housekeeping section. As you know, this podcast is a satisfactory member of the Agora Podcast Network. Here is a thing we're plugging this month. Ben, we're on someone else's podcast. Let's not intrude too much. You've got 30 seconds to tell this wonderful listenership about the conference. Shoot. Oh, okay. Uh, Intelligent Speech is back. Again, it's a conference that brings together your favorite educational podcasters with their fans in an intense one-day online extravaganza. It's all happening online on June 25th, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Between the three keynotes and the 42 individual sessions and roundtables, it's a three-ring circus of online content. Wow. What are they going to be speaking about? Our theme this year is crossings of one form or another. Very arty, very chic. Amazing. Where can people get tickets? Intelligent Speech Conference, all one word, dot com. And tickets are $30, but if you act now, you will get the early bird special of $20. And if you use this show's promo code, which hopefully the host will shortly provide, you will save an additional 10%. Wow! Cue rousing music. <laughs> Use code W2W to get the discount. Hello and welcome to Why Though, a personal journey through my record collection. This is the show that asks that most important of all questions, why is this record in my collection, and is it any good? My name is Benjamin Jacobs, the confused owner of the records and host of the show. This is episode 10, Alba. Today we are talking about the extremely short-lived Scottish folk band Alba. The word Alba has a variety of interpretations, but in this specific context it's a reference to what the Romans supposedly called Scotland. The history of the band is short and simple. They were a bunch of students in the late 1970s in Scotland. They formed an acoustic folk band with a bit of an edge, recorded a record, and then they all went back to school and to other projects. This is technically the full story, but it makes no sense outside of the larger context of the second Scottish music revival. Somehow, over the last few episodes, we've touched a number of times on the building of national identity that happened in the British Isles during the Romantic era as it involved music. It is important to note that, when it came to folk music, the work of the Romantics wasn't building something from entirely whole cloth. Traditional Scottish music of various types was common in rural areas at various kinds of festivals and entertainments up until the 1950s, at which point they kind of merged with self-conscious revivals and the whole thing kind of became a postmodern existential nightmare. Notably, there was the Cayley which is spelled C-E-I-L-I-D-H, but is pronounced Kaylee. The Kaylee is somewhere between a square dance and a celebration of Scottish culture, 
The original version was a lot less formal than the modern version, and if all of you out there are thinking of your high school dance class experiences from public school, if, if you had that, don't worry, this is a lot less embarrassing. What happened in the 19th century, during the first revival of Scottish music, was that intellectuals from Scotland's growing cities took an interest in these traditional forms of music, sought them out, and wrote them down, and published them. It's worth saying that what they wrote down wasn't necessarily an exact factual interpretation of what they found, and it's worth saying that what they found was the specific local iteration of Scottish culture that they happened to stumble into. Usually this was Highland culture, because that's, you know, where the modern world had penetrated at least at the time. However, the cast that these intellectuals took on it was that this was the real authentic version of Scottish culture. There was a lot of creative reinterpretation, and there was a lot of filling in the gaps with what they thought should have been there originally, but wasn't now. The example of the kilt is a particularly interesting one, where it's now deeply identified with Scottish culture, but it was actually invented by an Englishman to make factory workers get sucked into machines less. That's a whole thing. Google it. Anyway, this process of searching out quote-unquote traditional music and writing it down and publishing it had a huge influence on later generations, as written-down stuff will tend to do. But it's worth saying that at the time, the biggest impact was on members of the rising urban, middle, and upper classes. As we discussed last time out, these classes had the material wherewithal to purchase instruments, get formal training in using them, and then buy sheet music. And that's the important part. Sheet music was the mass distribution method of the time. This group also had the ennui and industrial alienation required for a person to read literature in order to find and identify with a lost cultural heritage. In the early 20th century, as mass media crept more and more into the common person's life, Scottish music began to suffer in a real way. The radio stations in Britain were inevitably based primarily in England, and played primarily, though not exclusively, English-language programming. The increasing availability of free primary education, in English of course, added to the issues. The influence of American troops from the new Navy base in Glasgow shouldn't be ignored either. This all meant that after World War II, the kids were mostly wanting to dance to big band jazz and stuff like that. You know, the scary devil music. But in the late 1950s, a number of intellectuals began getting recordings of traditional music published, even getting Columbia Records to distribute the albums. By the 1960s, with a major renewed interest in all kinds of folk music across the entire English-speaking world, these early efforts by intellectuals in Scotland began to take off as a major part of popular culture. A few major things about modern Scottish culture contributed to this that made the development of the Scottish revival something that's very particular to Scotland. First, Scotland's cities are full of labor agitators due to a long exposure to satanic mills and coal mines. Second, the rural countryside was full of peasant anarchists, who have continued to suffer from the prolonged end of the clearances. Even today, the lairds of Scotland control massive estates that are primarily used for hunting and vacationing, and which were assembled by driving off the crofters, a local term for small farmers. One of the biggest landowners is the royal family of England, so there is a major insider versus outsider element to the land invasions and land protests that continued until the 1970s and the agitation around the right to roam that continues to this day. Oh, one other thing. Scotland is close to Ireland, you may have noticed. And unlike Scotland, Ireland had its own state-controlled radio station, playing Irish folk music since 1921. 
Ireland also had its own little mini record industry that catered to local tastes while trying to push local arts internationally. Notably, we're talking about acts like the Dubliners and their ilk. A number of Irish folk acts would, by the 1960s, find major prominence and acceptance amongst the Irish diaspora, something that Scottish music fans were very aware of because a lot of Irish diasporas happened in Scotland and the north of England, which was very close by. This in turn impacted the popular culture of the rising hippie movement, which was so popular in the mainly cities of the Atlantic world that was home to so many Irish enclaves, which then fed back through the radio stations that everyone was listening to. So, to bring all these threads together, when a bunch of hippies showed up in Scotland badmouthing the military and the political order, listening to folk music, saying land should be held in common, and challenging gender roles, the Scottish working class was not as put out as you might expect. After all, the Scots were already used to men walking around in skirts, they saw folk music as a key part of their heritage, and they already wanted to take over the means of production. So, after some initial teething, the Scots embraced the musical subcultures of the late 20th century in a way no other area really did. Not only were they accepted, the Scots readily put their own twist on the subcultures and used them to build enthusiasm for their ongoing project of nation-building. From the 1960s onward, there has been a steady growth of folk music festivals, clubs with nightly live acts, and a renewed culture of holding kaylees. Acts like Silly Wizard and the Battlefield Band started slowly to build an international reputation. In the 1970s, acts like Donovan and the JSD Band began fusing Scottish folk music with popular rock music styles and calling it Celtic Rock. The Battlefield Band was one of the first to fuse rock and traditional Scottish influences and then start writing their own songs. Previously, people who were doing this kind of thing would just cover traditional Scottish songs in a rock style. So, Battlefield Band kind of pushed out the boat there. In the 1980s, as the rest of the youth culture went into existential crisis mode and Ted's fought with punks in London, the Scots just began happily incorporating punk and metal into the Celtic rock tradition as if nothing had changed and everyone was on the same side. Notably, the band Wolfstone sounds as if someone had put The Clash and Led Zeppelin in a blender. Today, there is inevitably a huge Celtic EDM scene called Acidcroft, because everything's better with bagpipes and acid, I guess. Just as a note, I'm going to have a ton of links in the show notes to different examples of this stuff, so you guys can sort of hear what I'm talking about. Obviously, I'm pretty enthusiastic about the subject, and there's a lot of great examples to listen to. Alba was a small but key part of this process, despite their very short duration. They were right there in the mid-1970s, as the whole process of incorporating rock elements really started to kick off. As we will see, Alba didn't do too much of that explicitly, but it served as a training ground for one Sean O'Rourke, who would go on to be a founding member of the JSD band, whose place in that earlier list was prominent and important. This album has a small but dedicated following and is something of an obscure find, but well-beloved to those who know what they're looking at. Which brings us to how I got it. Now, I love Celtic music. Back in my youth, when we are all trying on different identities, I seem to have had a choice between embracing my Jewish identity or my Irish-slash-Scottish-slash-Welsh identity. Objectively, the Celts had better music, and their stories were more fun, even if they did sort of end up having the same ending. The Jewish narrative is always, they tried to kill us, so the survivors moved away, while the Celtic story is, they tried to kill us, so we killed them right back and made them bleed, and then they did kill us in the end, but we will get our revenge one day. Mark my words, England! Anyway, the point is that I went hard for the Celtic stuff. I have 
swung back in the other direction since. But the point is, I still have a very soft spot for Celtic music. It did not hurt at all, it should be said, that a major wave of Irish immigration in the 1980s had led to a huge upsurge in the number of Irish punk bands in circulation in the 1990s, which is when I was doing said youthful identity surfing. All that said, I'm relatively certain that I did not buy this album myself. Elba is far too obscure for that. No, this little piece of secondary revival history was part of that same banker's box that gave me all the classical music we will be enjoying this project. So good news, everybody, this box also contains really obscure and weird random bits of world music. It is really going to keep this project interesting and fun. The album packaging is fairly nondescript, another factor contributing to my suspicion that I wouldn't have bought this myself. The front cover is a picture of the band performing for a packed house with a bodhran and a guitar case in the foreground. That's a, a bodhran is a kind of drum. The band's name is written in very Celtic-y letters on the top right, and there is a strong red tinge to the picture. The piper is in the foreground and is wearing some massive bell-bottoms, as was the custom of the time. On the back cover is a picture of each band member playing their respective axes. The one thing that gives me pause about the idea that I didn't buy this is that Sean O'Rourke is playing a lute body guitar in this picture, which is something I might have thought was interesting back in the day. Still, probably didn't. There are no liner notes, and the sleeve is blank. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now, how does it sound? This record is great if you like Celtic rock. Actually, that is a fairly broad qualifier that I should uh, unpack a little bit. The term Celtic rock was coined by Donovan to describe his 1970 album Open Road. I'm not a huge fan of Donovan. There's a lot of stuff sold as Celtic rock that is lame as hell. I mean, maybe you like it, and that's fine. But the edgeless, flowery, river dance stuff hocked to American easy listening fans is really, really not my thing. I do like the odd, pretty, lilting tune about nature and pretty girls, especially if it's sung by Sinead O'Connor. But as an angry, young suburbanite, the thing that made me fall for Celtic music was all the songs about war, poverty, tragic history, and the temporary triumphs of the underdog. And I love Celtic music for its driving rhythms, its intricate musicianship, and its unremitting intensity. So while I recognize that, say, the Chieftains had a role in popularizing Irish music, they're not really my thing. Alba is not like the Chieftains, and not only because they were Scottish. To be sure, the instrumentation is all acoustic, and the songs are traditional arrangements. But they really go for it. The songs are generally up-tempo, the musicianship is of high caliber, which in Celtic music generally implies a high number of notes per minute. 
And even in the slow songs, they let the melody stand for itself rather than weighing it down with flowery accompaniment. The bagpipes are not hidden in the background like an embarrassment. They're up in the front, warts and all where they belong. It's worth saying, their piper, Alan McLeod, had not yet graduated from piping school at the time of recording, though he would soon. Uh, apparently, they have bagpipe technical schools in Scotland. Fun thing to know. The production here has a lot to do with my enthusiasm, and this is somewhat surprising to me for a record from 1970. At the same time that the album art and everything is pretty bare bones, the recording quality is clean and crisp as a pair of dress pants that you just got back from the dry cleaner, but a lot more comfortable. This is really an important thing with this kind of music. With rock and punk, you can get away with really muddy, crappy recordings, but when one of the main characteristics of your music is a high number of notes per minute, you can really lose the melody in the background noise if you have bad recordings. I'm thinking in particular of a few recordings I have of The Silly Wizard. They're a well-regarded and foundational Celtic rock band, but their heyday was maybe 10 years before Alba, something like that. Part of the issue may be generational, but they do seem like more of a hippie rock band with a more relaxed approach to tempo. But the recordings were also made using slightly older technologies and may even have been live, which made the whole final product just kind of sound like a smudge to me, and it's a lot less fun. So yeah, Alba is my kind of music, and a really good quality recording for such an early record. It's a little hard for me to follow the lyrics, I have to say. As one might expect, these fellows have a fairly thick Scottish accent, so listening along isn't the easiest, and I did mention there's no lyrics sheet, and of course there's nothing online for these guys because they are really obscure. But I can basically get the gist, and it's everything I want out of a Celtic rock band. There's the song about how my love was sent to Australia by the British for 14 years, and I miss her because she was pretty. You know the one, there's always one like that. And then there's the song about ships, and how they're very impressive, and then we had to fight something from the ship. And there's the song about how I got drunk one time and ended up in a dangerous or compromising position, but it's nice to laugh about it now because soon we will have to go back to difficult manual labor. You know the standards. I do miss one of my other favorites, The Boss Man Was Mean, But We Got Revenge Because Our Country Has No Laws. It sure is a shame I don't have a job now. But then that standard may be more of an Irish thing. But Wolfstone had one, so I don't know. They're Scottish. Anyway. One thing worth adding on a personal note. I fear that this album was well-loved by its previous owner. As such, it is somewhat scratched in places and has a tendency to skip a little bit. This can be an issue with my record player. There is an adjustable weight to the arm. Most of the times that I've listened to it, the skipping was an issue. But the last time, just before I recorded, it actually played fine. So... Anyway, that sort of tempers my enthusiasm for this particular physical copy of the record. Not that this matters to you, but this show is nothing if not parochial and personal. In any case, this album rules and you should get it. It might be hard to find, though. So if you can't get a copy or stream it or whatever, you can get a similar vibe from early recordings by the Battlefield Band and, of course, from the JSD Band, which was, you know, sort of the same creative team. If you're interested in exploring Celtic rock further, I will point you to the direction, again, of the links in the show notes as sort of a whirlwind tour. If you're interested in going beyond Scottish music particularly, and getting into the Celtic punk scene, which was uh, a little different than the stuff that's in the show notes, I'll just say Flogging Molly is great, and the band Black 47 was a favorite of mine for a while in high school. They sound a little dated now, but kind of in a fun way. Some of the rap is embarrassing, but 
If you're looking to get into some old school stuff like I discussed today, then I really do recommend Wolfstone and later stuff by the Battlefield Band is is really, really fun. I've actually used quotes from the Battlefield Band in uh, Wittenberg to Westphalia. They're just great. Anyway, enjoy. With that, I must bid you all a fond adieu. Remember to check out the website, hit me up on the social medias, and buy stuff at the store. I'll look forward to hearing from you. Next month, we will be taking me back out of my comfort zone as you get to hear me try and come up with things to say about history, America's greatest hits. That's actually going to be the one I do collaboratively with Di. Should be fun. She grew up listening to that one. I didn't. That's a place where her expertise will be valuable, and we'll, we'll see how, how that conversation goes. For those listening ahead, link in the show notes. And until then, I hope you find the answers you seek in your record collection. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 